Hello, everyone, and welcome to Trafficked on the Zeus Network for Hear Women Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We have a special one-hour presentation with our guest, Frank Dukes. As always, I want to start with a rave. Uh, last week, I believe I ranted and raved at the same time. But this week, I want to take just a moment and call some wonderful attention to an amazing organization in Iowa, the Center to Rescue Trafficked and Exploited Children. I was just there recently doing yet another training for them. They have an amazing staff, and they have gone from an idea of helping victims to actually doing so to becoming extremely experienced and competent in restoring victims and identifying them and coordinating with law enforcement. So I would like all of our listeners to visit them at um, their website, www.crtec.org. I will also put them, uh, a link to them on our traffic social website. And I would love for all of you to give them kudos. The reason I've highlighted them today is uh, one of the victims that has been through just an amazing ordeal through many years has been cared for and restored by them. And I just visited her, and I can't tell you how confident and relaxed and happy I am about her her chance of success now. And um, I just want to say thank you, thank you to Rick, DJ, Melissa, Chrissy, and everyone else, Nicole at the Center to Restore Trafficked and Exploited Children. Thank you so much. Okay, let's move forward. I am so honored today. We have a special guest. We're going to stay with him through the whole hour. Um, Frank Dukes, he is just an amazing man who has contributed so much to the martial arts world before it was so well known and on into the future now when it's becoming quite a quite an institution in many communities. He has developed a secret program that's used by the elite forces. It's a proprietary application of problem-solving technology. It's called the Fast Dukes Rue. And uh, I am so honored to be... Uh, uh, to have spent time with him over the last several days and learn more about him. So I want to bring that to our listeners. Um, we urge you all to call and chat in. Uh, of course, you're at our website, herewomentalk.com. Click chat live, and we can take your questions. Also, you can call in and listen and you, or give uh, speak directly to Frank at 646-652-2071. Welcome, Frank. Well, thank you, Dottie. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we are so glad to have you. And, you know, I'd like to just start from the beginning. I believe most of our listeners know your history and who you are. But, but let's start from, you know, you you were, you were fighting a, a pretty tough battle in Hong Kong, Hong Kong many years ago, which became the basis for the story Bloodsport. Can you tell us a bit about that, and then we'll move forward into what you've done since then? Well, um, there's a, a, a an event that's the, the, that represents the pinnacle of martial arts, which has now grown into what you see is the mixed martial art phenomenon of today. Um, when I was growing up, martial arts really wasn't well known. You didn't have, the, obviously, Internet and video available. Um, you really had to work at just getting any pearls of wisdom from it, learning any of the techniques. So it had quite a 
quite a different posture, a different era um, growing up. I grew up in the era of Bruce Lee being my icon and being alive and seeing him around and and Vic Moore, Joe Lewis, uh, Bill Wallace, Chuck Norris. Um, these guys are, are martial art legends who inspired me, and and as a result, I, I fought in this event that goes back probably all the time of uh, uh, the first Olympics. It was it was uh, it was originally called Pancratium. Then uh, it's just basically no hold, hold barred fighting. Uh, it's changed. It's altered over the years. With Alexander the Great, it moved east to through India to you know, uh, to through you know, and from India, it then transmigrated over to China, and it transmigrated over to Mongolia, and of course, it spread throughout the the whole region when the Mongols basically conquered you know all of Asia and basically and parts of Western Eastern Europe, excuse me, um, and controlled it for 400 years. Um, I was very honored to to be selected and be one of the few to fight in the event. I became the first Occidental to win the event, although there's other many events like that where other people had won it who, of course, were Occidental, uh, non-Occidental. But uh, anyway, so I'm just uh, very pleased. I worked hard all my life. I came to the attention of Black Belt Magazine as a result of that, and that led to the movie Bloodsport in which Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, portrays me. So it's been a journey ever since. Uh, using that skills, I I parlayed it into to working with elite units around the world and, and uh, fighting uh, human trafficking. Well, you know, it's so funny. Uh, um, I've just met you recently, but you've been a part of my life longer than I even knew until uh, I picked up Bloodsport again. Uh, my son and my husband of course loved the movie and I, I saw it I knew exactly um, I was so fascinated with all the different interpretations of fighting I, my masters is in international relations specifically mm-hmm. international conflict so <laughs> I uh, had a natural desire to be very interested in the movie but my uh, son is 22 and of course my husband's in his uh, late 40s and uh, through all the period of my son growing up they would uh uh, I don't know the right word to call it, but you know what I mean, boys play fighting, but in a serious man way. You know, my husband was teaching my son how to be a man, and then my son was learning, you know, what his body could do. So they were always playing around and roughhousing and, oh, literally knocking stuff down. And, <laughs> and we, my little girl and I just get out of the way and let him go to it. And occasionally I referee and go, all right, somebody's about to, you know, have to go to the hospital here. But uh, the, the tap out word was mate. And uh, it's so funny, the other day when I watched the movie, I go, that's where that came from. <laughs> so, Frank, you've been in my home, in my living room, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> so, anyhow, um, mate is a, a word we use a lot. Um, so, that, that movie launched, um, I guess, uh, a lot of opportunity as you received recognition. Um, where, where came next for you? Uh, well, I, I don't even know where to go. Um, I got a lot of recognition. I was uh, named a source contributor to the U.S. Navy SEAL Combat Fighting Manual. My name appears inside it on the manual K431097 for those who want to look it up. Uh, 
I've uh, had the pleasure of teaching people all over the world uh, and coming up again with my proprietary uh, application technology. What it does is it actually takes whatever it is you're doing, whatever style you're doing in martial arts, and it teaches you how to integrate it in the brain where it's it's what we call the practice reflex response where it's autonomic, where you're not thinking about it versus uh, doing it in a manner that's called conditional where it only works in the dojo. And, and most people, that's where people train is it's conditional. I take them out of that box or whatever they're comfortable with or outside their comfort zone and of course everything goes, they lose everything. So that that's kind of what went on. I, I've worked in the energy industry. I uh, used my technology to patent a value-added contribution model. We provide financially sustainable solutions to social problems. Uh, I was very uh, in, uh, helpful in solving problems of water shortages in Asia, Africa, uh, and the Middle East uh, in a way that um, you know saved a lot of children's lives. Uh, get by getting them clean water. I mean, there's so many things we take for granted in this part of the world, uh, Dottie, that, um, you know, uh, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just thankful there's people like you who are out there actually championing people's rights, human rights, um, because they just don't have a voice in, in the countries where they live. You know, what I'm so amazed by as I've worked in this field um, over the last several years is that they take someone who might be otherwise unable to earn even a dollar and turn exploiting in them exploiting them into something very lucrative. And um, I just uh, keep noticing that over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it, and that's one of the reasons I came up with my my proprietary models that some countries have adopted. I gave it away for free um, simply because it creates jobs and, again, it creates financially sustainable solutions to social problems. It's just a way of attacking problems and dealing with it. So, Okay. We are going to move forward a bit. And when we were talking the other day, I uh, you talked about some actual rescues that you had done. Mm-hmm. And um, I Got think me in big trouble. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get to that soon. We, we want to tell the good side first. <laughs> um, so you were uh, traveling throughout the Middle East, or how did this come about? Yeah, I've traveled through the Middle East, Asia, all over the world. Um, you know, I was a, I'm what was called a contract covert agent. Uh, real wet work isn't done really by guys, or I shouldn't say isn't done. That's not correct statement. You have basically your paramilitary types who conduct operations and they usually work close within war zones and then you have guys who basically work in politically sensitive issues um, to make sure we have our, you know, we're secure here at home and it usually requires contracting people out and and that's become so Evident. That's why now you hear the word like Blackwater's a, you know, people know know that group that exists. It's on. It's a household name today. When years ago you'd never even heard of it. Uh, Top Canopy, any number of things. Uh, and we have more contractors today in Iraq than there are military soldiers. So, 
I was a contract agent. That's the best way to describe what I did uh, during an era when, when uh, the the we couldn't operate inside the um, uh, you know South America due to the Bolin Logan amendments, and uh, I was run out of the White House through what I believe was through the National Security Council, but it was more like through proxy. I actually was be working for foreign nationals who would actually kind of pay me even though I was protecting the interests of the United States. And the reason for it is, again, it was because of sensitive nature of the work we were doing and, and how it could backfire. Frank, we're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we want to really get into uh, what you're talking about now. It's very interesting, and I, I think a lot of the public um, will be surprised at what you tell us. So hold on, and we will be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to Trafficked on Hear Women Talk Radio, produced by the Zeus Network. Well, we are returning with uh, Frank Dukes. You can chat in at hearwomentalk.com. You can call to listen or uh, speak with Frank at 646-652-2071. I see our chat room is lighting up, and uh, um, I want to go back to where we left off. You were actually requested to rescue some U.S. citizens that were taken out of the country for the purposes of trafficking. Oh, yeah. Uh, early 80s, the FBI count, um, was able to, I think, intercept a container at Long Beach where it was packed with uh, young girls headed for uh, China. And that basically led to, um, you know, an investigation which yielded all sorts of entanglements. And eventually... Uh, you know, during even my own travels and my own intelligence work, I came across uh, trafficking taking place uh, as a result of that. My, my awareness was heightened to what was going on. That's when I was introduced to it. Um, and it's really, uh, I mean, it's it, it really angers me that here we are, the most powerful military organization in the world, and we're not going after these guys to get our our citizens back and it was real interesting because I was in uh, talking to uh, Bob Crow who's of the Trammell Crow family who actually backed the Reagan into power they were major they were major in his um, in, in his political campaign as, uh, as contributors and uh, Gerald Ford would actually stop by the house and Ford admitted to the fact that they knew that there was half a million people being young girls between the ages of 17 to 18 uh, being kidnapped around, you know, regularly. I mean, at that time. And the reason they didn't go forward with it, and it was because they were so sequestered in places like in Saudi Arabia, for example, or in Sudan, um, that the minute troops would land, you couldn't scoop them all up, and they would actually start, they would kill them. So they didn't want to be a party to, you know, their their deaths or, or, or robbing them of whatever time they did have because what people don't realize in the sex trade, what ends up happening in these countries, for example, 
when a girl reaches the age of 25, she's outlived her usefulness. And if they can't find her forced labor, they just kill them. And so this is what happens to a lot of our young girls, uh, you know, here in the United States, in Europe especially. Um, one of the things I caution young young ladies about is one of their little techniques of how they drug them. They don't drug them by putting it in their in their drinks like people see in the movies. What they do is they they will lace a cigarette, and usually they target a smoker, gal who's smoking, pop open a cigarette, she smokes it, she's out, she's in their arms, and she's gone. Uh, they go after girls with promises of employment. Uh, one one situation, I was actually uh, not too far from my home. There was a club in Hollywood. And this club, what it would do is they would kind of like, you know, get to know like some real pretty young girls. Uh, they would turn around and say, oh, how'd you like to go to Lebanon and uh, uh, work, work there as an entertainer and this and that. Well, most of these young girls weren't sophisticated enough to even know Lebanon was in the midst of a civil war at the time. They would pack their bags, go there, and the next thing you know, they'd be end up in a in a place called the the Barjac, which was uh, which in French meant barracks. It was an old military barracks, and this is where they would be kept against their will. Uh, one person that I know of actually asked me to intervene, and so what I did. Um, to give you kind of a personal story, is I asked them, well, "What do you want? What do you need me?" And they said, "Well, look, you know, if we hit the place hard, first of all, we've got all these terrorists, you know, or at that time the PLO might open up on us. So there's nothing we could do. Um, we might be mistaken by the the Christian Falange, so they might open up on us." He says, "And then they've got all the the criminals there, and they all have AK-47s. This is we can't come in in force." And even if we did, you got the problem of all these girls being so brainwashed, they're going to run out the door. And what are you going to do then? How are you going to get figure out which girl it is that you're rescuing when they're all going off in different directions? So it became clear that I had to kind of go in as a patron, which I did. I finally got up to the girl, got to know her, and you know brought her a picture of her family so she knew what was going on. And I brought in a, a change of clothes for her, disguised her as a man, and then I basically tore the place up. And in the confusion of that, you know, she slipped out to a waiting car and she was she was gone. The problem is knowing all these other women were still there and there wasn't really much I could do for them. And that that's the hard part. That's what breaks your heart in these kind of things because you have to sit there and look at this. And this, this is so rampant and so out in the open. It just defies logic. It brings absolute anger to me. I mean, I go to Cambodia, and, I, and if you go there and you go to Laos, you will see eight-year-old girls uh, and boys being pimped. I mean, and they're being pimped to Americans. They're being pimped to, to Europeans. And I just want to slap them silly. I mean, it's like, what are you thinking? And a lot of these guys who are over there, they're educated people. These these are doctors, lawyers, judges. I mean, I was shocked at the people I was meeting in, in those situations. And you try to come back and do a raid, the police are corrupt. They tip it off, so they just move the operation very quickly. And it's not and it's in your face when you see what they're doing to these little kids because the way they build their walls is they'll use this like 
trash bags. So any good wind just kicks it up, and you can see down the road, you know, down a row of of, 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 of a makeshift hallway, all these little kids being abused. And people think majority of sex is the sex slave is where this is actually happening, when the reality is we're really looking at child labor. And what I want to know, is it really worth it to have these things that show up in Walmart and, and, and who knows for us to afford when the bottom line is you're, you're, you're keeping children exploited? You know, we're buying goods where we know that the that, that children are, 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 are suffering under what, would be, what I would call almost a concentration cap atmosphere. Where they doing forced labor? They get maybe their food, and that's it. Just enough to keep them going. I yeah, mean, I, I agree. I want to touch base here because um, we've moved forward. When you were doing this, there weren't U.S. laws um, that were really for inclusive of trafficking. There, you know, certainly kidnapping laws. But as you talked about, there was many difficulties. Now we have pretty good laws. But I ran into similar problems that you did, and then it's in our face. It's right here. I can drive to Houston any day or any other major city. I, I did so in L.A. recently, and the first day I'm there, I can point out multiple locations, yet trying to get these women rescued and these children and these, uh, you know, even men in the forced labor. Uh, I know of a place, forced labor outside of Houston, where they're working in rice fields, and if they're to uh, – they, they wanted to take a day off because they were hurt. They were shot at with machine gun point. Um, we did report this, but it's not like you'd think. It's not like the SWAT team shows up. It's not like to take on one of these cases is like moving a mountain, and uh, even more so outside the country. And our chat room's lighting up saying, you know, these people are as disturbed as you are. They're saying, we need to cut the demand, obviously. The demand for commercial sex is unquenchable. That's why they have to go target unwilling participants. There's more men that would buy sex than there are women willing to sell it. And then the second thing is our incredible thirst for cheap products. And so right now they're saying, what can we do? What happened to the girl? Was she protected? Did she get safe? Um, It's just insanity. And yet we'll we'll hear about in a few minutes how it was more like you were the crazy one and everyone else was trying to make this go away. Oh, I you know they say don't rock the boat. It was like you know what are you doing? You know how could you do this? I mean, I'm the guy made out to be the criminal. That's the that's the, the whole thing. And and I got to tell you, it's one of the reasons why uh, I my my pass has been denied. My contributions have been denied to my country. I had uh, I've lost my pension taken away from me it, it, through surreptitious means. I might add uh, the destruction of my my records. Um, uh, you know, I was basically disowned. And you know, what are you going to do? You know, the bottom line is I was an embarrassment to some people with real political power. Political power comes from them having greater economic. Uh, resources and then other people, and they're going to protect it, even if that those inter, you know that resource or revenue source is child labor. They don't want that to be come out. Yes, absolutely, and um, um, 
you would be surprised. You would not be surprised. Our audience would be surprised at some of the companies that benefit from this that they would know and recognize. Yeah, um, and, 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 and you know what, Dottie? We really need to identify that. And what I think would be great is you show a – why don't you just show pictures of these kids in there and go and enjoy your sneaker or and show that. Just show that. How many people – would want to would would remember that image, you, you know? I'm with uh, that, especially diamonds. You know, when they say a diamond is forever, I said yes. Yeah, so we're missing lens and child slavery, and uh, the destruction. I I agree with you. And you know what's interesting? It was it was showing that that actually changed that in the Congo, okay? Because people started to do something, and the diamond industry started to clean itself up as a result of that. And that's well, what it really comes down to. Consumers well, make it happen, you know. Mm-hmm. That's really the key. Um, they make it happen, and they make yeah. it happen quick. We've got to take a break. I want everyone to hold on. Our chat room is lighting up. Um, we have some very angered comments, and uh, rightly so. I hope we move these folks, and they join us in helping us. So hold on. We'll be right back with Frank. Welcome back to Trafficked on Hear Women Radio, produced by Zeus Networks. Thank you so much for holding on through the break. We're going to pick up our story again, as Frank Dukes was talking about how he was sent to rescue um, some U.S. citizens that were taken for the purposes of prostitution. In efforts to get them out, he actually had to create a a disruption and then spirit them away. Uh, The sad thing is, that rather than being supported and lauded for those efforts, he wound up receiving a lot of blowback. Uh, let's pick up where you left off, Frank. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I've, I've watched uh, a lot of political-minded people, and it makes you kind of wonder. I mean, I, I came under attack by a guy named B.G. Burkett who made over 600 unsubstantiated and false allegations against me. But again, this is the same guy who promoted the swift boat lies against, uh, you know, John Kerry. And I'm, I sometimes wonder if, if, if the reason for that is because I had stepped on people's toes regarding this whole matter. Uh, one of the things I remember is uh, being in the Philippines. I was operating in the Philippines, and I came across uh, – people ask me, uh, whatever happened to my swords, okay, my martial arts swords? And uh, I, I used to sell them along with a guy named Irving Soto. He's a federal officer now. I got to commend uh, Irving. He, he's back from Iraq. He, he was training troops over there uh, in martial arts, and and again, even these issues of trafficking. Um, but he, um, we used to sell our. We used to when we won, we didn't get really trophies. We got swords. Traditionally, you would sell the sword back. You would get paid for that, and that's how you made your money. And I ended up, you know, selling my swords back a lot of times. But a lot of times, it became. Uh, Desirable to guys who ran these Murat army ships, and I would actually barter and get kids off of these ships. Uh, those who are unfamiliar with it, the Murat army are these fishing vessels where literally they they are are fishing the old Japanese style. They throw the entire net in the water. The kids have to swim underneath the net. I want you to understand this while it's ascending, and then push the net up with the fish in it. And of course, some kids get entangled. In, in the net and drown, they have to do this eight to nine times a day. By the time a child is done with this, they're blind or deaf. Um, and the parents who basically 
sign their kids on these ships think they're earning a dollar twenty-five a day, when in reality the 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 company because they don't are are illiterate. Most of these people don't realize when they sign the document they're being charged three dollars a day for their room, care, and board. So at the end of it, they own the child and the family's in debt to them. And I would come in and you know I would I would basically you know use my proceeds or or a trophy, if you would, that was desirable to some owner, and I, I could get kid, kids off off the boat. And the thing that really pisses me off the most is no sooner you get that, that happen, you got some, you know, guy seeing the kid obviously, you know, needs medical help or this or that, says, oh, come here, I'll give him medical help, and then spirits the kid away, and the kid's in forced labor now. So he goes from one situation to another situation to another situation. And what really kills me, it's out in the open. It's 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 not even bothered to even be hidden. I want to make that real clear. At least it wasn't in the 1980s when I was there. You could yeah, get on the seats and see it. Yeah. You know. Well, then you know, and that's I'm glad then that what I did had some impact. That it bringing attention and and, and and that people are moving in that direction. Personally, you know, I'd love for a patron of some guy who's got real capital. Hey, I'll kick in the doors and I'll I'll start grabbing the kids and taking them out. I have no problem with it. Did it before. Happy to do it again. You know, that's what I what I dedicated my life to learning martial arts. Martial arts, true martial arts, isn't about self aggrandizement Okay, that's why I have a problem with a lot of these MMA guys. It's all about them. It's all about looking good. It's about tattooing up and running around and, and look at me. Real fighters from my generation, we learned martial arts. We would go in these areas, and we were the guys kicking in the doors. We were the guys actually putting our ass on the line because to get kids out, to do what we were doing. And that's the real history of martial arts because it's about protecting those weaker than yourselves, being an example to children. Uh, it just makes all the difference in the world. I know when I, I would use my martial arts programs to re rehabilitate a lot of these kids. Um, it's one of the reasons why, when I had my fame from Bloodsport, people say, "Why, why didn't you, you know, exploit that?" Well, I did. I went down to Mexico, where there was no martial arts, and I took kids off the street. I got them off the sniffing glue, and I set up, you know, schools. And I still have like. 20 or 30 schools down there where we teach these kids, where we inspire them to get an education. Uh, we, we teach them how to share food. You'd be surprised how many kids go hungry. But if you teach them in an organized fashion to everybody, like, hey, give an apple, give this, give that, they, yeah, they go with a little less, but another kid doesn't starve to death. You understand? It starts teaching people strength in numbers, social responsibility, plural responsibility. And that's an important part of martial arts when you really understand what real, real martial arts is about. It's not about aggrandizement. It's not about who can kick whose ass. You study it to be disciplined in spirit, mind, and body, and to use it to help others. And that's why we have a problem today. Because people are sitting on the sidelines. They want that cheap good. They're not sitting down and getting off their ass and saying, well, what makes it cheap? Why is this cost less money to be made in China or here or here and not here? You know, if people did that, guess what? You wouldn't be having jobs shipped overseas. And guess what? You wouldn't have to be forced to maybe eat your import at the end of the month by seeing it being uh, um you know, repossessed, right? Because you lost your job. It's it's a cycle, and that's what people really need to understand. 
You have to break the cycle of dysfunction. We are each other's brothers keepers in this world. We have to look out for each other. If you want peace, you want good karma in your life, you got to get up there and do something about it. And you, everybody can do it. That's what really makes me angry. Everybody thinks, well, what can I do? You do it by really being conscious of who is profiting from this kind of exploitation, letting other people know, and don't consume. Refuse to buy the goods unless a living or wage or something's given to these people. That's what really needs to happen. Absolutely, and I, I agree with you 100%. And, uh, you know, I get asked a lot of times, just like you said, what can I do? And, um, you know, consumers can drive a change quicker than any law or law enforcement. We, we need it all. I'm not saying do without one or the other. The consumers are the, uh, the driving force. The other thing is that the public can help make this a higher priority. You and I were discussing during the break, we spend a ton of money on other other concerns um, and then in the chats they talked about we bailed out banks but if you look at combating trafficking there's some money out there but not in relation to the crime and it's actually very difficult to get funded uh, I do creative things so that I can get money from other places so I can be free to the victims and uh, the, can, the everyone in the public can change that they can write their elected officials. They can write opinion pieces in their newspapers. They can call attention to the locations that are trafficking in their community. And uh, to say, hey, we don't accept it. We are hostile to traffickers and a safe place for victims. And encourage your uh, community to take that stance. I'd like to move us forward. Um, we talked about, um, you know, in the U.S., we've talked about trafficking around the world. And on our show every every week, I try to talk about trafficking globally and then also in the United States domestically. And you had a story about a pimp. And, you know, pimps are traffickers. There's no different. There's nothing glamorous about being a pimp. A pimp means you control someone else, use force, fraud, or coercion to exploit them in the commercial sex business. So tell me about the what happened with you and you got in a tangle with a pimp trying to you know, I, I always laugh. It's really pimps tend to out um, estimate their fighting ability when they're used to beating up women and children. And there's a video that explains this on our Hear Women Talk discussion page. But uh, you go ahead, Frank. Well, I mean, in, in my own situation, I, when I was ill from my years of fighting and, and had two brain tumors, I had hired a guy who worked for me. I'm not even going to get dignified by even speaking his name. But the bottom line is, the last time I saw him, he was on Jerry Springer. Um, and he was, he, you know, he, he was uh, praying the fact that he had been a pimp, uh, that he trafficked, in, you know, exploited women, beat women. Um, and this is a guy I want you to know that hits me from behind with brass knuckles uh, uh, when I was ill with two brain tumors. And, uh, you know, goes around in books like uh, by this guy, what was his name, uh, Clyde Gentry the third, he, he writes about it in his book No Holds Barred, which is a crock of, I won't say anything else because he obviously didn't do any research. If he had, he would have seen the police reports uh, substantiate that there was no mutual combat between me and this individual. Uh, that I was hit from behind. The guy was arrested. Uh, the only reason he escaped being prosecuted is they thought I might die, and they rather elected to go for homicide in case I did die. So they let the battery charge kind of run out. They didn't. They didn't want to 
you know, prosecute him and then get him under the – he escapes under the double jeopardy rule. So that that's kind of like what happened there. And, again, this guy's running around now being touted as an MMA fighter uh, celebrity, and his, his claim to fame is what hit me when my sucker punching me, you know? Uh, and, again, I start looking at who his associates are, and, the, and, and many of them I have found are involved in exploitation of other human beings. And this is what really I, I really find disturbing. I mean, I remember I appeared on I Am Seamus, and this guy was just vile. One of these guys on the show was vile, calling me a fraud, calling me this. And I've had to deal with this over the Internet for years. And the sad thing is the guys who control these sites, well, they keep it up because it drives traffic to their sites. They have no respect for the truth, and there's no Internet laws that compels them to tell the truth. Um, and so this particular guy was actually a subject of an 11-month investigation, and he was a clear pedophile. And my understanding is he escaped prosecution because he ratted out his little ring. You know? So here's a guy getting away with calling me a fraud, getting away with this and being held up like he's some kind of responsible guy. And it's like, what, what's going on with society? They got a screw loose. You're, 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 you can't tell the good guys from the bad guys. Ethics from unethics. It's like we're moving in a, in a totally antisocial direction. The I agree. Of, of mental health here. I agree. And when I've been out in the communities, you can actually see pimps. Um, they they tend to take their their merchandise into restaurants and and large venues where there's a lot of people. They walk around with them, and when we've recovered the victims, you know that's we're learning their techniques, and that's actually that word of mouth business. They go parade them around, and then you know men even there with their wives and girlfriends uh, make contact with the pimp and sell them. And yet, who gets arrested? It's almost always the women that are prostituted. So society supports this, and we need to say no more. We're going to another break. I want everyone to hold on as we're going to get uh, more into this discussion when we return. Welcome back, everyone, to Trafficked on Hear Women Talk Radio, produced by Zeus Network. We um, are getting towards the end of our show, but I see our chat rooms are just wild. They're going crazy, and people are angry, excited, and talking about action things they're going to do. I really, really appreciate that. Keep it coming. Um, I also, I know in my emails, I had promised a surprise announcement, which we are getting to soon. And uh, I want to get back to our story with Frank Dukes. Welcome back, Frank. Thank you, Doug. No, it's interesting. A lot of people think like um, that this wasn't like considered. This is something new, but the suffering of other people has always been a concept. I mean, even in religion, I mean, people think when you buy something kosher, it means that there's a blessing over it. Actually, that's not true. That's part of it. But what it also means is the item was obtained um, not through suffering. I remember how the um, field workers were being exploited in California. Cesar Chavez was uh, a, an organizer. He brought it to the attention, and it was the Jewish community who sat down and says, "Okay, we're going to we're going to call grapes not kosher." Now, this is grapes, all right, um, because of the suffering involved. 
and how it changed that entire industry, how they ended up with the union, how they ended up with the rights, how they ended up with the protections that we see today. So it's really important for people to band together, to sit there and identify what I would say is not kosher. What's a gain to human suffering? If we could do that, market, uh, and not think of it in terms of a religious symbol, but a symbol that just, you know, that basically says, hey, this was obtained um, through hard work or fair wages or whatever, or this, or this wasn't. I, I think if we could instill some company, something like that for products all over the world, uh, you could eliminate suffering. The manufacturers could do it. They have the power to do it. And we, as, as consumers, have the power to turn around and say, this is what we want. We want to see this symbol. And if I don't see the symbol on, on this object, uh, guess what? You know, I'm not buying your product. It's that, it's that thing. And, and, it can, and it can even be a symbol on the Internet. You can just go to the Internet, and it should be listed there by some source that controls it and investigates it and says, yeah, they are or they aren't listed. I mean, that's what that would be a great way to, to kind of end this problem. Uh, it's organizing. The other thing is, that, you know, if you want to get rid of the pimps in the neighborhood, uh, you know, martial artists are, are not, you know, afraid of, like, getting, you know, dealing with, with these issues of, of exploitation. Most guys I know in the martial arts are pretty principled, uh, disciplined individuals who will uh, step up to the plate if asked. I mean, could you imagine every martial arts school in the country, Dottie, turning around and saying, okay, we're going to look at these guys in the area and just get the, take the girls away from these guys? Yeah, and absolutely. Uh, there's a film on our um, on our traffic social page that uh, shows what you said exactly. There's this loser pimp who has a taxi, can't even afford a car. He's beating up the woman he's prostituting in front of a martial artist. He's making a training film for police departments. <laughs> so the man goes out and confronts him, and the pimp attempts to uh, beat him up. He he threatens him, yells at him. The woman's holding him back because she knows he's going to get his butt kicked. But uh, he goes on, and the martial artist just stands there, gives him one elbow to the throat, and I swear I laugh out loud every time I see it because the pimp is unconscious in the middle of the street. He's just laying there unconscious. And uh, the taxi driver and the woman drag him off to the car. It showed on Spike and a lot of places like that. And, you know, the thing is it's not funny because she's prostituted. He's obviously a criminal. Someone did do the right thing and stop it, but everyone went on their merry way. This guy needs to go to jail, and she needs to be protected. Well, the, thing, the problem is a, a gal like that will be so – I looked at that same video. She's probably been doing it since she was 13. She looked like she was about 26. She's, it's so ingrained in her head uh, that she, she can't get away from that lifestyle. It becomes it becomes normal to the prostitute. This is this is a thing people it is, understand. It is they have very, to be treated. Yeah, it is very difficult to get them out, but we have had success. I will say I have more success with the uh, victims from outside the United States. I just think our culture is a bit harsh, um, and and that they. Um, it, it, they definitely come through to the individualism with a different perspective, but we can do it, and we should do it absolutely well, every time. Well, they need support is what I'm saying. They, they can't yeah. do it on their own, and even then they don't. And, that, and that's the same thing for, you know, one of the things is they don't just, you know, 
have them doing that, they turn them into, you know, addicts. That's another issue that they have to do. They destroy their entire self-esteem. Basically, by destroying their self-esteem, taking it away, they're able to control them. That's why I love martial arts. Martial arts is about building self-esteem, building people, showing respect for others. That's why I'm so adamant against these martial arts, so-called martial art internet sites like Ibudo, uh, Bullshito, where they go out and all they do is trash and bash other people. And it's just a haven for internet tough guys, uh, a haven for, you know, pedophiles is what I found out, uh, just degenerates, um, and also people who are young kids and, and also some people who, who are, are being misled by the fact that the information there is being controlled. Um, and distorted, and of course, the lessons of martial arts are being lost. And you know, it, my industry is in deep trouble because of it, because it caters to trade libel. Um, you know, the the which ushers in the commercialization of the martial arts. And martial arts, I feel, is important to a community because they really provide a a symbol, a role model, an, an ideology worth emulating by young boys and young girls, so they put, you know, they put discipline in their lives, they put hard work in their lives, they know how to respect other people, show consideration for other people, and that's the step to limiting human trafficking. It's that consideration factor. It's that respect for other people. It's caring enough to go out and do something. So. Yeah, I have a problem with these sites because they are far, their effects are far-reaching. They're not simple entertainment and people, people think. They have a ripple effect throughout our fabric as a society for people. They help perpetuate human suffering around the world. And that's what people don't understand. It can start in your neighborhood, but that ripple effect affects someone down the road, someone associated with them, and it continues all the way through. Um, and we, we need to do something about it. We've got the strength to do something about it. Let's not pussyfoot around about it. Let's just go do it. I remember incidences where, you know, it was forbid me from doing something. I remember a guy, I, I totally tore him up and then sat him down and explained to him why. And, that, and believe it or not, he was a victim himself of that abuse, and he became the abuser. When, when I did that, somehow I switched the role on him by doing that, by being really forceful, by being hard-hitting on him, and he cleaned up. And he's, he's a very successful business person today. You would never, ever know that this guy was an abuser. So people, even we even need to look at that. We need to look at the, even the perpetrator. How do you turn them around so they don't become a recidivist, so they don't keep continually doing this? You know, let's not make jail a revolving door, okay, for these guys. Because all it does is take hard-earned funds, tax money that we could use somewhere else because it costs a hundred grand a year to support these criminals in a jail system that I'd rather spend that $100,000, quite frankly, on, on feeding people on helping children, education, uh, investing in our communities, you know, so we build and all live a happier life. Because that's ultimately all of us 
That's all we want is love, recognition, and the easiest way to do that is two things, Dottie. And you know what that is? What is that? It's very simple. It's a practice of generosity and empathy for other people. I understand, and those are huge healing healing emotions, and you're right. A lot of the people out there committing crimes need that. And, as you said earlier, um, they need that stern a wake-up call in order to receive those things. And uh, we appreciate your advice, your time, your uh, information, and, and I hope, oh, we also need to talk about what we're planning. Okay. <laughs> Before I get all worried about the time here. So, um, you know, a good friend connected us, Bill Hearn, and we came up with uh, um, this great idea of a speaking tour with uh, Frank Dukes or Dukes and Dottie, and we're going to address the dangers to your family and community, the destruction that human trafficking causes to individuals and the community at large, and how to curb demand. So Dukes and Dottie, curb and demand, what do you think? I like it. All right. So, uh, I, I, I think I, I was really kind of hoping. Well, we, we can. That, that's one of the things I think we want to talk about, Dottie, is how to protect themselves from being victims. Absolutely. I don't think people realize how their kids and their their loved ones are absolutely openly targeted by these guys because they're so lucrative. Mm-hmm. Are we on the air still? Or? Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just wanted to say to the audience. I mean. One of the things I, I'm a strong believer in is, you know, an ounce of pe- prevention is worth a pound of cure. And uh, there's so, such simple things and products available today that can, you know, uh, protect your child. I mean, think of that first moment when you send your child to school, what that feels like. And know that there's a way that I can ease that worry and concern and that's one of the things I wanted to start teaching people about and making them aware of what they can do and I know Dottie you you know what I'm talking about um, and there's just simple things that people can do to protect their families so let's start right there you know there you charity go. starts at home okay there you it, go it you can't help others to you protect yourself exactly and then the next thing is to really sit down and you know, work out a, an action plan to help others. And like I said, I would love the opportunity to have a platform, a real platform, where I can enlist the aid of all these martial arts schools around the country because they do listen to me. I do have, you know, their respect uh, in all walks of, 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 of that community. And it wouldn't be hard to rally them and give them a purpose and a cause and give them steps of what they can do to improve and protect their community. Because all those guys, that's what they're dedicated to. And here's a huge resource in our in our in our country. There are more martial artists out there than there are policemen. I'll take you up on that, Frank, and we will we will run with that. All of us here and our listeners and the wonderful people combating this issue. Thank you so much, all our listeners, and we will have Frank back again soon. Have a great day and um, thank you to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Network.